0: Film fans, happy holidays! Welcome into episode seventy-six of the Second Day Film Podcast. It's the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. It is Monday, November twenty-eighth, two thousand twenty-two. I'm your jolly host, Brandon Champion, joined as always by the movie maestro, Mike Nichols. Really appreciate anyone and everyone who's decided to listen to this random one in a million film podcast featuring two normal dudes with big mouths who just love movies. Thanks for showing up again, Mike. Uh, how was your Thanksgiving, my friend?
1: I ate way too much food. I'm going to hit the jam after we record just because I feel like I did the Thanksgiving where you really have to do like four Thanksgivings because you do like one Thanksgiving with one one group and then you do like a, Friendsg- a Friendsgiving and you do like one with like the grandparents. You do one with like the parents. Like so I feel like I, I had like four Thanksgiving feasts, which is a, a good problem to have but now I have the problem of my jeans are a little too tight, so I need to <laughs> I need to go hit the gym after this one. How was your Thanksgiving, my friend? S-
0: standard procedure, stretchy pants after Thanksgiving, Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, it was good. I mean, I actually, you know, I, I, I hate to say it, I got COVID, uh, so we had to cancel the family plans. But you know what? It ended up just being, you know, me and my wife and my dude, my new daughter and my dog and my cat and we just sort of hung out at home and uh, we got Bob Evans to go Thanksgiving which actually I was quite pleased with uh, you know, got they threw a little ham in there I don't know about you, but I love ham on Thanksgiving I know turkey is like more traditional but I'm a big ham on Thanksgiving guy you got any, any thoughts on that?
1: Uh, I had some ham this Thanksgiving for one of the, one, I think it was like the second of the four Thanksgiving feasts I had and yeah, it was great <laughs> with the turkey uh, yeah also did yeah. a little, uh, uh, oh, what's the, what's the thing where you like put the three meats inside of each other, a uh, tofu, turducken? Like, turducken, I had some turducken too. That was excellent. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I don't
0: even want to know how they go about making a turducken to be honest. Yeah. Like, it, it sounds a little messed up, but you know, as long as cranberry sauce isn't involved, I'm good with anything on Thanksgiving, bro. That's, well, that's all I got to say for it. Are you a I cranberry mean... guy? Cause I don't want to offend you, you know?
1: I, I like a good cranberry. It's not like the first thing I go for, but like I'm never not happy to see it at Thanksgiving. What do you like, do with it? I don't even know what you do with it. You you eat it, champ. You yeah, eat the like, cranberries.
0: Just like by itself?
1: Yeah, you just get oh, them. Well, I think disgusting. the best can like, I think the best cranberries come from the can. You just open it up, slice them. There you go. I, yeah. I enjoy that. I don't need but, to waste but but cranberries. I cranberries. I grew up poor, though, so that's <laughs> really i think stovetop stuffing is great too and i was mocked for that this year so whatever everything
0: came out of a can yeah. right <laughs>
1: yeah you know what like in the original thanksgiving feasts it, it was like they had all kind of they had like lobster i think and they had like venison and duck and turkey like wasn't even the main dish so you know what everyone can just chill out people do thanksgiving how you want cheers <laughs> yeah it's What and the have- pilgrims and the native americans would have wanted <laughs>
0: Well, I hope anyone who's listening to this had a good Thanksgiving and uh, spent some quality time with with family yeah. and friends. And uh, uh, it's been a while, the last couple of years, bef- uh, where people couldn't really gather. So I'm glad most yeah. people kind of got to revert back to the good traditions. Uh, speaking of traditions, we're here to uh, spew a bunch of bullshit on movies and TV. <laughs> Appreciate everyone for listening <laughs> today. If you could please uh, like and re- rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening. Our Facebook page is Second Day Film Podcast. Uh, Just put a new trailer for uh, Damien Chazelle's new film, Babylon, up there today, if you want to check that out. Mm. Um, I know we'll be excited about that. And uh, we're also on Twitter, Instagram, and you can check out our old episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, and Apple Podcasts. Um, So you ready to do this, Mike? Let's get into it, huh?
1: i'm ready man it's good to hear your voice i'm glad you're glad you're feeling better from the covid it's been a while since we've done this i was like i was looking forward to this tonight i've watched a lot of things in the last month Dang. so I, I we can we can get through it whatever we need to get through
0: it's been a crazy like couple months or so especially yeah. in terms of tv you know we had, we had oh you know, yeah lord of the rings uh show come out which mm-hmm. we reviewed last pod house of the dragon which we're about to review in a, in a few minutes here and or which is coming up on today's episode uh, i mean it's just crazy with with shows that we've been waiting for forever coming out so it, it, no shortage of things to watch especially on the tv side and we're going to do two tv shows as i just said tonight uh we're going to start with house of the dragon mike uh this is one that is obviously has been super super anticipated basically mm-hmm. since game of thrones went off the air a couple of years ago it is a game of thrones prequel it's created by Ryan J. Condal. He is the showrunner. An internal succession war within House Targaryen at the height of its power, 172 years before the birth of Daenerys Targaryen. Like Game of Thrones, it stars an ensemble cast led by Reece uh, Matt Smith, Graham McTavish, pa- Patty Cansadine, uh, Emma Darcy, uh, Olivia Cook, Millie Alcock, Emily Carey, uh, among others. And Mike. You know, I, I'll toss it to you in a second here, but like Game of Thrones, obviously a show that we both have a lot of fond memories of. Yeah. I know it's one of our both, you know, it's one of our favorite shows. It's my favorite show of all time. Uh, last couple seasons, obviously, we don't need to get into that. Had some major issues. I, I'm, we've had so many discussions off the air about how Game of Thrones yeah. ended. I tend to be a little mm-hmm. bit more favorable to it. Don't think it's as bad as as the internet masses made it out to be. I still think it's better than ninety percent of television, even with its flaws regardless i was nervous that we were going to sort of dive back into westeros into the song of ice and fire because this seminal iconic tv show that changed tv as we know it in a lot of ways was perfect in my opinion for i don't know what six seasons last two were a little terrible so i'm like you're diving back into this world you've got this huge budget record-setting budget you know at risk of ruining the good things that people liked about game of thrones, you're always doing a risk when you throw it back to the same universe. So I was nervous coming into this one, but I was pleasantly surprised, Mike, this, this ended up being one of my favorite shows in its own right. uh, And and it really just looks amazing, but I'll I'll toss it to you. Give me a thought on, on house of the dragon.
1: Acceptable. It was a, (laughs) it was a solid return uh, to the world of Westeros um I'm not really familiar with this storyline I mean I had read some of the books of Game of Thrones so I knew a little bit of what would happen in the show but this story is taken from George R. R. Martin's um Fire and Blood novel um which is like kind of explores the history of the Seven Kingdoms and this is specifically following um uh like basically Prince Daemon Targaryen and Rhaenyra Targaryen and their kind of rise to power, as well as this uh, civil war of the Targaryens households called the Dance of the Dragons. Um, First episode starts off strong, you know, they kind of bring you back to the world and there's good, like, it's like, okay, there's good, interesting characters, good character development, we get to see some intense experiences of childbirth uh not just in the first episode but kind of throughout this season (laughs) it's like okay it is really drilling into you that having a baby in in like you know in a medieval kind of setting would have been a rough scary experience and uh and they 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 just kind of forced force that reminder on you many many times throughout this show which in some ways is like oh like wow this is so intense but also it's like yeah good Like, I love it when Game of Thrones actually uses historical experiences to kind of shed light on human stories. And so I I kind of liked where we were going with the first episode. And, um, you know, and then, like, we just start doing these jumps. And I think that's where the show started losing steam for me a little bit because it wasn't as much about character building. Now it was just plot dumping. Um, So characters start aging really quick episode to episode by the time we get to the end of the like you know final episode of the season i swear like some of the children look older than their mothers it's a little awkward <laughs> um and also like because they have to do some jumps some of the like some of the action gets a little bit uh kind of what happened with game of thrones the final season where it takes spectacle over gritty reality where it's like, okay, hey, this person's just gonna have this intense fight and it's gonna be bloody and it's gonna be this. But it's like, well, why did that just happen? Why would this character choose to do this? Also, why would the other characters just stand around? You know, so there were definitely moments of this new show that did choose spectacle over storytelling. Um, and yeah, some of the age jumps were a bit uh, you know, not helpful, but overall, there is good character development, there's interesting characters. I don't know how relatable they are. But it's well done. And like by the end of the season, you do kind of care about what's happening and it makes you interested for more. So I don't think this was as great as everyone like maybe said it was, but it was still fine. It was still enjoyable. It had some really good things in it. And even with the flaws, I I would keep watching for season two.
0: I mean, it it looks amazing, first and foremost. Yeah, you could, I, I mean, we expected that. The dragon CGI, which so, there's more dragons in this than we had to deal with in Game of Thrones, and it, it looks amazing. I thought some of the hokey things, like in Game of Thrones, were when like Daenerys would actually be riding Drogon and sometimes it looked a little goofy at times that sort of crept in here, but I think they did a better job of sort of making it look more natural Um, with dragon riders. I mean, it's, it's much more like at this time period, it's much more of like a commonplace thing, like they're hopping on their horse. So they have like saddles and stuff. And I think that sort of helped the CGI in a way, Um, but you know, sets, costumes, amazing. The, The big walk and talk that they do through the castle, you really get a sense in the scope of the red keep. I do agree that the time jumps are a little bit distracting early on because I didn't expect that when I was watching this show for us to jump like years and years and years. Because yeah. when you compare it to Game of Thrones, especially the early seasons, what was the hallmark of Game of Thrones? It had a very slow, deliberate pace where we were seeing like every sort of aspect uh, of, of character development happening in real time where like, Characters would spend like a whole season traveling somewhere, for example, and then all yeah. of a sudden you're thrust back into Westeros in this prequel and we're seeing an event and then jumping three years and then seeing another event and jumping three years. So once I sort of got used to the time jumps and realized, OK, this is what's going to happen, we're sort of seeing snapshots of the development of this sort of rivalry. It sort of made more sense to me. And I, once I sort of got used to that's what it was going to be, because what I realized by the end of this thing is basically the entire season is set up. Right, it's it's basically a prequel to the main narrative, which is the Dance of Dragons, which you mentioned. So I'm thinking, and I don't know this, I'm thinking when we get to season two, I'm I'm not sure the time jumps will be there as much. I think it'll be much more of a slowly. I mean, I could be wrong, but I think it. I think what really was happening here is the showrunners felt that it was really important for us to understand these dynamics between this sort of family and these two families, I guess, and sort of see all these little things that sort of build up this animosity to lead to the dance of dragons. I I think they felt it was really important that we see all these nuances in their relationships through the years. So that way, when war actually does happen, it's believable for us.
1: I feel like the time jumps could have been done. Like, okay. I just feel like the way they chose to do it didn't work. Like I, like one way I think they could have done it, that it could have worked was had they told the story, not chronologically like because they chose to be like this is the next moment this is the next year this is the next thing they then just kept jumping up and because like for some points of the story only one real main plot point happens in this one year they jump to these characters who are all these new actors just for like one or two episodes and then all of a sudden they're gone it's like wait another jump like it just it's a little disorientating so i feel like had they done it maybe not chronologically that could have worked a little bit better if they had maybe done some of the jumps as flashbacks.
0: Yeah, um, I, I kind of like that because, like, it is crazy. Like, it, it is, you've got all these characters with very similar names, and one episode, and then you've got like three different people playing the same character in some cases, and they really just mm-hmm. throw you in there and they're like, oh, okay, that's the same guy. I got it. And then the next episode, it's someone different. So I, I do understand how that could be a little bit confusing, especially when they've all got the same names. And there's a lot of plot dumps in this because, yeah, because of the nature of the show where, the dialogue is basically just exposition whereas in game of thrones they had that in there clever writing but we saw a lot of the things just take place so i do agree that was a little bit distracting but overall i thought the you know the show the performances were were solid across the board particularly i really like i thought patty considine as the sort of conflicted king at the center of all this just sort of holding this family together by a thread yeah. i thought he was incredible particularly in the episode when he has to limp to the you know, the the Iron Throne and, and tell people yeah. what set people straight or when he pleads with them at dinner to get over their squabbling for the realm and for the old man. I thought that was incredible. I mean, there was good performances throughout. And the two main girls, um, I didn't uh, I, Rhaenyra and Allison. I didn't. A lot of people complained about that casting change because they're such central p- characters to the whole show. I, I thought that that was pretty fluid, actually. They didn't feel like different characters to me. They felt like they were portraying the same person. You know, once you got used to it, I mean, obviously when you go from one episode to the next and it's a different actress, it's going to be like, okay, well, here we go. I was kind of attached to that girl, but uh, I didn't find that distracting at least with those two, but maybe you disagree.
1: No, I thought the girl, like the, the switch between um, Rhaenyra and uh, Queen um, Allison. Allison. Yeah. I thought those were fine. I thought we got a really good performance from young, from the young princess and millie alcock and also from um emily Emily Carey. like they were great and then the switch to olivia cook and emma darcy were fantastic i thought i thought all those performances were great and i thought that transition was good Mm -hmm. um some of the boys was like the boys weren't aged like in a way that worked i think for some of the stuff like i'm sorry but like the kid with, man i'm forgetting his name is it prince um uh is he the, of them. yeah see What's is the one with the the eye patch is it uh amen Amon? yeah Amond. yeah he looks older than olivia cook <laughs> like yeah. like i'm sorry <laughs> he just he looks older than her and he's supposed to be her son her second son uh <laughs> so i don't know he looked older uh, than her
0: older son yeah, he did kind of. Um... I think that's on purpose, though. I think they're kind of because he's so central to sort of how the events unfold and sort of how the conflict starts. I think they're trying to just make him look sort of more menacing, which he does look menacing for sure with that eye patch and just the way that that actor looks. Yeah. He looks with the rigid jawline and the white hair and he, he looks like Matt Smith, basically, except younger and even more menacing in a way. But I, I guess the thing I liked the most about the show, other than how it looked in the performances, was how it just sort of. It took time, right? It, I know we're taking time jumps, but it, it really took time to sort of show us all sides of this conflict, all sides of the different characters. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, at the beginning, you know, Damon is like clearly a bad guy. And then towards the end, it's almost like, wait a sec, now I'm rooting for this guy. Yeah, or like, yeah. or like Allison early on, you're like, you feel bad for her because her dad, Otto, is making her like bed the king. And, this old creepy guy and then by the end you're like oh wait but she's now she's the one who's actually pulling strings here and and then you, you sort of show her her horror and nuance when she realizes that people have been planning behind Rainier's back all this time and I just really appreciated the care in setting up the conflict because you really get the sense that these events continue to build up and isn't in it, it it isn't just like one inciting event I mean it will be eventually but it's like Basically, it's like a miscommunication and an unfortunate event, an unfortunate like boys will be boys incident that is sort of going to send things over the edge. But you can really get the sense because of the care they showed in this sort of prequel season, how the sort of animosity between the Greens and the Blacks built up over time. And because of that, I think it's believable when the conflict finally does, you know, boil over.
1: Yeah, they're definitely like doing a good job of building up like the world of this of This Westeros, like of this particular time period when the Targaryens were in charge and there were the other like houses. Um, it's good to see some like diversity in the cast, that, that was good. Uh, I like that none of the Game of Thrones fans freaked out like the Lord of the Rings fans did. Um, but uh, yeah, it like because
0: they just basically made one house African American, right? It worked because of that,
1: I will say know? though, one thing that I, I like, and I like overall, I did enjoy this like show. I guess I'm just like. I'm going to be the the voice in this episode to like, maybe pick the things like, okay, yeah, but these things need work. Um, I kind of wish that there had been someone who felt a little bit more like, I don't know, like, like relatable or even just common. Like every character is like a super wealthy Lord or lady or princess or queen or king. It's just like, there's no one who's just like a common person. Well, but the, that, there is the no one, one who's really
0: good. The, there is the one, uh, is she a whore or is she she's Damon's whore right uh, the, i don't the know the missaria chick there is her one yeah. who sort of has has the spies in king's landing and is working with otto and whatnot and yeah Allison. but even
1: there she's like a spy master for the like the high, like she's not just like a normal person like and, and,
0: you had Gendry and varies and, and people like that in game yeah. of thrones sort of gave us that perspective
1: yeah and you also had people who were good like who in this mm-hmm. show is really all that innocent shall we say like either like even the people we're mostly rooting for are like an incestuous uncle and niece like that's creepy <laughs> um or it's like well their kids are good like yeah but the kids are also not legitimate like and sorry little, like, not no shits too <laughs> yeah like i mean the boys i get like i felt bad with the little boy you know spoiler when when his ending came but that know, was amazing <laughs> that yeah.
0: massive dragon just that eating was, him
1: <laughs> I love how the whole thing was then played off as a, oh no it didn't mean for that to happen like you feel yeah, like
0: out of control like you feel like Eamon was
1: like oh whoops and bad doggy like you're chasing like you're you're flying on Godzilla and you're chasing your little nephew around in the middle of a, a storm and like screaming at him I'm gonna get you I'm gonna get your eye out and then when he actually gets hurt you're like oh whoa I didn't mean it. Like, come on. But again, I
0: do. I do kind of appreciate how those sort of like, is this war going to start over basically an accident or is this war going to start over a misunderstanding? Because one thing I do know about Fire and Blood, the novel, is it's told from multiple multiple point of views and all of them are sort of like questionable narrators. So you have like three different narrators in that book who are sort of telling the way of the events of things and all of them are different. So nobody really knows what actually happened in to start these events and start gotcha. this war. So you can see throughout the season that there's sort of like things that are put out there that can be seen in a lot of different ways, you know, that can be seen, that could be twisted in a lot of different point of views. And I think that sort of like goes into the, how this sort of conflict between families gets started, where it's almost like people are looking for an excuse to start a war after a while, because yeah. There's so many of these little inciting events that have happened, but nobody really knows exactly how they went down. So I thought that was a little bit of a tease toward that. But I did appreciate how, <coughs> excuse me, how this show had, you mentioned sort of how it's like a different world. The show does have a much smaller scope than Game of Thrones. Um, because, you know, in Game of Thrones, we were all over the place, all over the two different continents. What, five, six, seven storylines going on at the same time where we're jumping around. Whereas this is basically confined to King's landing for the most part and Dragonstone. It's a much more refined, smaller scope. And I like that because it helps us sort of zero in on things that were great about game of Thrones, which is the core intrigue, the battle for the iron throne, interpersonal relationships. Yeah. These are the main things that we loved about game of Thrones. And I think this show really highlights all of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, um, it gives you that political intrigue. It gives you the intensity of the experience in a medieval like setting, um, and it gives you some beautiful like production values. Like the the dragons look amazing, the costumes look amazing, the settings look amazing. Like and it's it's very well done. Um, and yeah, like the acting is well done. I, I just I just think overall, like I, I would just like to see a little bit more of maybe I don't know I don't know if meaning is the right word, but just someone uh, rooting for. <laughs> yeah kind of it's like why should i care like what is the point of this like game of thrones there was a lot of messages about power and there was a lot of messages about loyalty and about like trust and about wisdom and i i feel like this this show is just doing all the good things people liked about game of thrones which is still really enjoyable but i don't really feel like there's any new there's any new new things to learn about like life from the show which is kind of what Game of Thrones was really good at so I'm looking forward to where it goes I'm looking forward to you know the next season I again I enjoyed it I want to watch it more um, but yeah like it, it does sometimes feel a little like it doesn't have the heart that Game of Thrones had
0: are you on team black or team green
1: um oh well I'm glad I know that green is the color of a fight because they explain it to you while it's happening which is like, oh, I'm really glad that the characters are explaining why this is an important scene because otherwise we wouldn't know. So that, I was, I was annoyed. That whole wedding part, part annoyed me just because Sir Kristen Cole like just murders someone of the other like house, like a very high up person in their house, in the middle of the wedding, and they're all just like, okay, well, let's get the serum. Like he's not executed for this. There's not well, like the an uh, there's not a the war. To People have. are like, what is going on? Why would you just kill this guy? What just and they're just like. Nope, he's just cool and we just move on and get married, like in the middle of this with blood on the dress. Like that like the fact that there were no real consequences for that moment, I thought it was really, really strange to me. And it also just didn't make sense why Sir Kristen Cole just kills someone. Like he's a he's a knight. He's a, like my like a couple scenes before he's like, My whole life is about honor and da da. And it's like, yeah, he feels slighted by the princess, but yeah, but you get jealous. You don't just murder someone in the middle of a wedding by beating them to death, like in a public like celebration <laughs> like, that that snap did not make any sense to me i was like that just doesn't feel like like what characters would really do if that if, if I don't know.
0: so um, you're on the you're on this. team black then
1: uh i'm rooting for i'm rooting for the the kids to not die so i'm rooting for uh <laughs> yeah i'll root for <laughs> i like rhaenyra i'll root for her yeah, that's uh, Team
0: Black. I think that's the way the show wants you to root. I really do. They make they make Otto look like the bad guy for the most part. And by the yeah. end, at first it's Damon's the bad guy, but then Otto's the. I just love how the show sort of flips on its head. But I would say overall, I I like the show more than you. I gave it an eight point five out of ten. I think it, I think it's a worthy successor. I think it did its job for what it was doing to set up uh, subsequent seasons, and I'm excited for it. So,
1: I give it a I give it a B plus.
0: All right, that's uh, I give the the first
1: season. I give the first season a B plus because we know the Game of Thrones, (laughs) the grades (laughs) change from season to season. (laughs) It's all great.
0: Uh, Mm. And uh, okay, so that's uh, House of the Dragon. It's on HBO Max. So from one mega franchise to another on to Andor, which is the latest Star Wars show on Disney Plus. Uh, this show was created by Tony Gilroy and it is a prequel series to Star Wars Rogue One in an era filled with danger, deception, and intrigue. Cassian Andor will embark on a path that is destined to turn him into a rebel hero. Of course, when we saw him in, in Rogue One, he is again portrayed by Diego Luna. This is a, another ensemble cast Stellan Skarsgård, Genevieve O'Reilly, Denise Goh uh anton lesser i mean this we got people popping in and out of here uh andy circus shows up in this um who's our guy who plays Saul guerrero i can't think of his dang name right now uh uh man what is it forrest whitaker there we go forrest Whitaker. Name. yes how could i forget the great forrest whitaker um but mike this is a show that as soon as it was announced that this was going to come out i was pumped about it because rogue one is Might be my favorite star Wars movie. It might be. I'm not even like, I ain't even capping there. Um, this show kind of flew under the radar as I said off the top with the two big fantasy shows, but this ended up being the best thing I've seen in a long time. And as I said, it's some of the best star Wars I've seen in a long time. I really appreciated with this show, the sort of narrow focus, the sort of gritty grounded street level star Wars that really Mm -hmm. really focuses on normal people who inhabit the galaxy you know, Ooh. it really helps you get a sense of how a rebellion is born because, you know, throughout Star Wars, we have it's been so cosmic. Right. And sprawling with the, you know, Jedi and all these different aliens and the force and the Sith. And there's just a lot going on in the main Star Wars sort of narrative. So to sort of slow things down, sort of shine the spotlight on people who actually live in these cities and are affected by sort of the day to day stuff. Uh, and sort of set this story in that sort of space, I thought was fantastic.
1: Mhm, yeah, this was great. um I have to say, like I am not a big fan of Disney Star Wars, but man, this show was some of the best Star Wars content I've ever seen ever. uh it was really, really good i will I will say though, the first like three episodes are really slow. <laughs> i thought like the first three episodes like were kind of slow but then like once Andor like really connects with Luthen and they have their meeting and then like they're in the warehouse where the chains and like the bell things all start falling like that's when the show finally picked up for me and after yeah. that it just kept building and did not stop and it stayed at that intense like quality level of entertainment for like the whole rest of the series i honestly think it was one of the best shows this year like i don't even think it was like one of the best star wars things. i think it was genuinely one of the best shows on television uh this year um it really explores the idea of like what it what does it mean to resist um you know tyranny and fascism and how like how does a person actually get turned from someone who goes from hey I'm not a fan of the fascism, but like, I'm not going to actually like fight it. Like, um, I'm not going to start committing crimes or being illegal to like, you know, try to actually stop this force. Um, to then being like, no, not only am I trying to fight it, I'm trying to convince others to fight it. <laughs> like, uh, mm-hmm. and how they dig deep into the psychology of what's what's a true rebel. Um, mm-hmm. That's something we haven't really seen like explored super super in depth in Star Wars before. Uh, Mm -hmm. until we get this which which then makes all of star wars more meaningful because it's like well like who is the empire really why do they need to be fought who's really being hurt by them you know you don't Mm -hmm. always get to see all that i mean yeah you see stormtroopers come out and like you know shoot some people and and that's you know that's that's good for the simple like storytelling that star wars has been used to because it's basically a fairy tale but like now it's it's getting very very relatable like it's going into the local police force and the local political system and the local and the prison systems it's like oh man like this is this is something that we need to like think about because this is stuff that happens in our own country even and uh yeah like that was that was very bold to make a show that uh really took that on and then use star wars as the the tool for that
0: yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you mentioned the slow start. I think that's why they released the first three episodes at the same time, because it really was sort of set up. I mean, basically, throughout this season, you have, what, four arcs, right? You basically have the setup, mm-hmm. and then you have the the heist on Aldani, yeah. and then you have the prison yep. sequences, and then you sort of have the the funeral uh, yeah. back on Ferrex at the end. So you basically have four pretty tight arcs, but um, you know, you mentioned it, This show, you know, you said you're not a huge fan of sort of Disney Star Wars. This didn't feel like Disney Star Wars. This was not a, yeah, it didn't. a Disney-fied, <laughs> I, you know, I say Disney-fied, you know, it, it wasn't. That. Yeah. This felt way more mature. It felt like Star Wars for adults, you know, rather yeah. than sort of this this family sort of thing. And maybe that's why Andor, like this show, I don't think got as much advertising as, you know, The Mandalorian or Obi-Wan Kenobi even, it felt like the show was kind of slipping under the radar and that's probably because Disney knew that this show wasn't going to be geared towards families. It's much more mature in its way that it's sort of like you said, giving insight into the empire, you know, it's, it's, you even get it from that side of the empire, you know, through the characters um, that are sort of on that side, Um, Cyril Karn and uh, what's the, what's the uh, Denise goes character. What's her name? name Deidre. Deidre. Yeah. Deidre Miro. And you're, so you're getting more insight into the, the empire and why these people sort of are part of the empire, you know, who makes up the empire. You, they really truly believe that they're on the right side, you know, Mm -hmm. but in this show sort of hypes up the terror of it, you know, showing us like how they're using screams of a slaughtered alien children as torture like moving prisoners around to different floors as they get released, you know, destroying ecosystems and the ways of life of, of native peoples, like on Narkeena five. I mean, this is star Wars we're talking about and we're diving yeah. into this stuff. I mean, like this is heavy, deep stuff. And the writing in this show is consistently great. The conversations that Andor has with people like Nemec, who who's the guy who wrote the manifesto on the rebellion and, Sort of in the in the finale when we hear Nemec actually reading his manifesto out loud and his thoughts on rebellion and how rebellion is basically you know a, a bajillion small uh, acts of defiance and that's what mm-hmm. leads up to a rebellion. I mean, I couldn't, my mind was blown, Ma- Mike. I was like, I- is this the kind of stuff that we're talking about in a Star Wars show? Like yeah. this is incredible.
1: That that scene where Luthen um played really well by Stellan Skarsgård when he basically talks to the um I think it's, is it supposed to be his son or the guy who's the, he's talking to like a guy who's his spy works for the empire. Oh yeah. And he's like yeah. he gives this speech about basically what does a spy sacrifice? Like, you know, he's like I've I've given up all my own like morals. I've given up all my own things to like to do something that I will to that I will never get to enjoy like you know to fight the empire to like create a world where there is no one and i'll never get to see that world it's like that's like one of the best speeches i've ever heard like in terms of like a military or like an espionage agent giving their reasoning for why they have to fight that i was like wow like that is just a brilliant and like heartbreaking like psychological analysis of what someone is doing with their their life and their story and um like i was like that's one of the best like speeches i've ever heard about that topic and I'm hearing it in a Disney Star Wars <laughs> Yeah. Um, and just the scene where where Andor is trying to say goodbye to his adopted um, mom, you know, uh, Marva. And he's like, no, come with me. Like, I'll, like, I can't leave you. I'll miss you or something. And I won't be able to I won't I won't have peace without you. And she's like, oh, that's just love oh my god and I was writing. like oh god Fiona Shaw yeah and <laughs> then, like the, or, or the, the, the writing was so good robot
0: it was like where's Mama Marva like I, I'm like I want Marva I'm like this little robot is gonna bring me to tears man yeah like, this, that was the, so the, moving like the, the writing in this there was multiple sequences that literally I was like standing up cheering because I was so hyped up like, it was like I was watching a you know, my favorite football team playing a game and they scored a touchdown, like the eye
1: episode. Yeah, the eye, eye. so cool. The the
0: prison break,
1: yeah. Luton
0: space battle with the TIE Fighters, which by the way, the TIE Fighters, they hype up that sound that the TIE Fighters make in this and make it so terrifying in this, you know, the riot at the end, right after Marva gets them going and they kick the robot over and that's what triggers everyone to be like, oh, hell no, you don't touch my robot. And, you know, like, you don't touch my droid and it just triggers this whole riot. And it, it all just felt so timely. You know, I don't know if it's because we, you know, came through the time when, you know, Donald Trump was president and it wasn't even just Trump. I mean, there was people riding under Obama's administration, too. But just like the way that that riot sort of like made me think of real life and how people Mm -hmm. are, you know, protesting in the streets and just the conversations on rebellion and and in countries all over the world. These conversations are going on, you know, and in real life and. The way we saw it in Star Wars, man, there was just something about this show that just felt so real. You know, yeah. I know it's taking place in a cosmic fantasy galaxy, but like the theme, the thematic nature of this show just felt so timely and it was so well done. And yeah, really I agree. Was. It's one of the best shows I've seen in a long time. I gave it a nine out of 10.
1: I'd give it, I'd give it an A minus. Uh, just And the only minus is just for the first three episodes. Like that really was... Like, that could have all been one. It was very slow, um. Uh, but yeah, like I, man, like the other thing I love was the the whole prison sequence. Like that was just like even you know how it's set expect, up
0: with the floors and stuff. Yeah, it was so brilliant. Creative.
1: I know. I was like this. This actually does This does, like a lot of Star Wars is just it's taking the modern world or it's taking like fantasy stuff and it's just throwing a sci-fi edge on it. You know, like instead of a sword, you have like a lightsaber. You know, instead of horses, you have like speeder bikes, you know, but this like the prison system, I was like, this is just legit sci-fi. Like, this is very, like, very well written, like, challenge based system. So, okay, how does a character get out of this? It was good. It was really good. Um, Yeah, I was, uh, I was so impressed that they took it there. And of course, Andy Serkis, now he's in Star Wars twice. It's two different (laughs) characters. Unless Kino Roy eventually becomes, uh, you know. Snoke. (laughs) Snoke, who knows? We uh, don't know. We don't don't see what happens
0: to him. That's the other thing that happens in this show that I thought was so clever and smart is that characters come and go constantly. And like, Mm. we'll be introduced to a character and we'll actually get to know about their backstory. And then boom, they're dead. Or boom, they're gone. Boom, they're pushed off the legend. you'll never to be seen again. And that's real life. That's real life. You know, that's like how it would be if you were in rebellion or in a real life, like people come and go throughout your life all the time. And that's how it would be with all these sort of interconnected, uh, different factions of rebellion that are sort of swelling up into what we finally see, you know, by the time New Hope comes around. So, uh, you know, there's the stuff with Mon Mothma. We get to see a younger her in there and sort of her political intrigue. That's sort of our step into the sort of political side of the empire and how the Senate is. Still in operation under the Empire, but it's basically like a kangaroo court that isn't really getting a whole lot done. And I I sort of I appreciated that sort of uh, gaze into the political intrigue side of it, which is stuff they tried to do in the prequels. But it just felt a lot more hokey, whereas here it feels much more grounded and realistic. Um, So I appreciated that sort of look into things. It's just, man, this show rocks, man. I'm so pumped for getting another season
1: same i'll just say uh two more things that i thought were notable about this show that i really liked uh one was the fact that there were almost no major star wars cameos that came in to be the real highlight of everything like, you know, is like really
0: the only one you could say yeah. yeah
1: like other than that though there's no like oh like the really like leia's gonna make an appearance or the- i mean yeah you could say mon mothma but but really like this story stands on its own. It's not like tying into a bunch of fan service of, oh yeah, we're gonna bring this in so that the highlight is really this old Star Wars thing. It like it it dares to do its own thing, to tell its own original and closed story, which I thought was very bold given the way Disney has handled Star Wars. It was like, oh, that's different. Um and then uh the other thing I liked was the fact that it gave villains or like the Empire characters. It gave them faces like it it wasn't all just faceless stormtroopers who, you know, when we see like Luke and Han mow down a bunch of, you know, helmeted stormtroopers, we can, it's kind of fine because, well, they're just like the bad guys. They're basically space Nazis. Who cares? But, but by doing what they did with this story, they made the bad guys be like people on the other planets, like the local police force, you know, the local politicians, people who have jobs, people who have to go live with their moms like, you know, they they kind of took the idea of the empire's complexity and they brought that down to maybe the moral graze in fighting a rebellion or even, you know, some like I just thought it was really well done um mm-hmm. to like humanize the enemy um and, and the empire, not like in a way that made them like less wrong for you know their human abuse human rights abuses, but that just made you realize like, hey, there's reasons people don't just like walk up and start blasting like the bad guys in the face because those aren't like the bad that's their friend that's someone they knew it's like it's a human being who has a family on this planet you know um Mm -hmm. i'm not saying like they did it better than star wars where it's like faceless stormtroopers i think they're both fine for the type of storytelling they're doing um but i like that we got to see a little bit more nuance in this one it was just different i like that
0: yeah and that makes sense because the empire we thought they were the good guys (laughs) you know at the start you know, we're on the side of the Empire at the end of uh, at the end of the prequels, you know. So, yeah, they turn into the bad guys, obviously. Right, but it's, yeah. So it's, it's good to show that nuance. And some of the Star Wars novels that I've read do that same thing where it sort of tries to humanize people in the Empire and sort of show why they think they're on the right side. But one other thing before we move on to the movie portion of the show, Stormtroopers still can't shoot worth dick because they were missing those people in the riot left and right. <laughs> so
1: yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah. that's Andor. Yeah, more you civilians know. should have been killed. Really no, I'm disgraceful.
0: Just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying they still can't shoot, is all they still can't shoot, is all I'm saying. Um, mm. uh, but that's Andor, it's on Disney Plus. Mike and I agree. Some of the best television we've seen in a long time, and and truly unexpected. So yeah. uh check it out. All right. Ready to get into some uh, some films in the Second Day Film Podcast here, Mike? For
1: sure. Yeah, and we can try to go quicker through these. I know we took a little bit yeah. of our time with the Yeah, the but Honestly, the like, Yeah,
0: yeah that's, I mean, yeah. those are two of the big... I mean, I guess Andor sort of came out of nowhere, but... You know, those are two huge shows, yeah. so I don't mind taking a little more time on that. I felt, I kind of felt like we didn't give Rings of Power enough time, honestly, last pod. Yeah. So I'm glad we dove into those a little more. But yeah, we'll get through a little quicker here on these movies. Uh, the first one is Don't Worry, Darling, which I'm sure you've heard about if you pay attention to uh, pop culture film news at all. It's definitely been in there. It's directed by Olivia Wilde. Uh, in 1950s housewife living with her husband in a utopian experimental community begins to worry that his glamorous company could be hiding disturbing secrets. Uh, this film stars our girl, Florence Pugh, uh, Harry Styles, Chris Pine, Olivia Wilde, uh, Gemma Chan, among others are in this movie. And Mike, uh, you know, this, this is one that I was intrigued by just simply by the premise. I mean, I knew obviously it wasn't just going to be a movie about a 1950s couple, Um, so I was interested to see where this was going to, this one was going to go. I can't say I was completely surprised when the twist came. Um, but you know, what did you think?
1: Um, okay. I did write down some thoughts here. So overall, I thought it was like, it was fine. Like it kind of reminded me of, um, uh, what was that Hugh Jackman movie? We watched a couple, uh, uh, reminiscence was that what it was called yeah something like that it kind of reminded me of reminiscence where it was like that was fine but nothing like you know nothing really that mind-blowing or or even that original um but it was like well shot it looked good the acting was solid um but like you know it's basically a lot of other movies you've seen before um (laughs) (laughs) you know it's it's a little on the nose predictable with some of its messaging like oh wow like she's literally trapped in a glass house at certain points like okay yeah we get it (laughs) Uh, but that's fine like that's okay there's nothing wrong with that it's just it's a little on the nose um I thought Florence Pugh was stellar I thought she acted like so so well in this film I thought Chris Pine was good too um and everyone else I just thought they were fine like they're like they weren't notably good they weren't notably bad they were just they did they did what they were supposed to do in the scene and they were good um i I'm, i know harry styles is kind of becoming this big movie star and like i don't know like he's never done anything yeah. i disliked but he's never done anything that either wowed me like florence Pugh wowed me in this movie like she for the nuance like the intensity like the way she made you care about her character like you know i, I just never really saw that from like anyone else in the movie really um I thought the music was really good. The music, I thought, was kind of underrated. I loved the music in it. All the old soundtrack, like, you know, oldies they had. Um, One thing I do wish was that the cutscenes and the flashes, it felt like they were more done as plot dumps rather than characters actually remembering. Like, if you stop and think about, like, when you're remembering something and, like why would this trigger this memory? Like, okay, if someone slaps you in the face, then you suddenly remember being slapped like as a child or something. Like, but in these scenes where she suddenly just starts breaking out and remembering, it's not really tied into whatever's happening. But then you get this plot dump about something else from the past, and it just kind of feels like they were just filling in the backstory with random memory cuts that really didn't connect to whatever the memory cut was about. So... That was one thing. It didn't feel like an actual character experience, which then didn't feel, un- it felt a little unearned. Um, also, at the end, the wife killing the husband felt a little unearned. It was like, whoa, wait, why'd that happen? Like, why, like that was kind of, and also, why her? Like, why is to create she? Create drama, Mike. To yeah, create drama. Like,
0: that's why they did it.
1: Why is this the character to be the one to take this guy out? Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. Like, it was, it was fine. But it was like for all the drama surrounding the hype around that movie. I, like at the end, I was like, that was it. Like it was good. Like I didn't dislike watching it, but I, you know, I wouldn't like be like, oh, you to see it so good or. Oh, yeah, it was, it was fine. I agree. I agree.
0: Was- I agree. It was a perfectly fine watch. It wasn't like I was like, oh, I hate watching this. I thought the first two films were pretty or the first two thirds of the film was pretty solid. Yeah, I were. was. In, I was intrigued by the slow burn of sort of trying to figure this out, you know, I kept thinking of like films like the Stepford Wives or yeah. uh, films like I, I definitely felt like a Black Mirror vibe where you knew something wasn't quite right or something wasn't reality. Uh, you know, you mentioned the themes, what they're going for. They're tired. You know, the film really brings nothing new to the table. Although I did, I did find it sort of interesting that, you know, that the crux of it is that we find, you know, that Harry Styles character is sort of forcing his wife into this simulation because he thinks she's unhappy and she gets mad at him for taking away her autonomy and free will. And it's like, yeah, well he's badly misguided because within his perfect simulation, the women don't really have any autonomy or free will either because they're just expected to be perfect little housewives, you know? So it's like, you know, that's, that's not anything earth shattering or unique, but you know, whatever worth mentioning where the film lost me was the finale, man. I I just thought it was completely absurd that Florence Pugh's housewife lady is going to be going on like a, high-speed chase through the desert and then she's gonna kill her husband and it felt like a lot of manufactured drama at the end to sort of figure out how she's gonna get out of this simulation and I don't know as much as I enjoyed watching sort of the first two-thirds of the film it didn't come together great for me and uh you know I was just hoping for a little bit more because you know it just sort of ended and I guess we're just supposed to think like oh she, she you know we hear her breath and she's gonna wake up but then it's like well, now what? Like, because her husband's dead, right? And it's so
1: like... So <laughs> I actually wrote that down because to me, I thought it would be really interesting if they had taken it to the next step because, like, when she gets there and she touches the thing and she gets out, isn't she then still lying trapped in the bed, tied to the bed? So how does she get out of the bed then? Because now they know where they live, where she lives, and they're coming. So I thought it would be interesting had <laughs> they shown, like, once she gets out of the simulation then she's still trapped though which i thought would kind of have a better like if especially for a story about how like you know women get trapped in these like cycles of societal abuse like and you know inequality like once she gets in the real world she's actually still trapped then and she can't escape and they're still coming to get her i'm like that actually would fit the theme as well and then that would also lead to an even more interesting thing of yay, she's li- she's alive she got out oh wait she's still stuck in a bed and they're coming to the yeah. house uh oh and how does she get out of that then? Like, and no. she's got a dead boyfriend lying next to her, or whatever. Like, that would have been really <laughs> interesting had they then continued to show how does she keep fighting in the real world. Like, no, or- Mike, don't don't, don't worry,
0: know. darling. Two is just two hours of Florence Pugh trying to get out of a bed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it would have made for good drama, but uh, <laughs> yeah, overall, like you know, is a is a well made little film that that was the story was maybe a little too simple for its own good um and
0: uh, for all the drama that we heard about with like Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde like basically hating each other and they're playing like friends in this in this movie that uh, had to have been (laughs) completely awkward and I give Florence Pugh credit for if she actually was fighting with her director the entire time to still be able to go out there and and put a performance out like this I mean it just really shows how talented that that she is and yeah she's quickly becoming a podcast favorite mike i think we might have reviewed every movie she's ever been in on this podcast at this point
1: she's definitely one of the best actors or uh uh, yeah well is she our generation or is she checking the generation below us
0: (sighs) i don't know man we're old now let me check how old she is Let's let's check her age here.
1: She's she's twenty six. She's, she's our generation ish. Yeah, you know? twenty six. Yeah. She's one of the best actors in it. I think. I think she's fantastic. Oh, so. she's quickly
0: becoming one of the biggest stars in the world. Absolutely. I mean, just look at the films she's been in in the last you know what four years. Little Women, uh, Black
1: Widow. Um, you know, she's been in some.
0: She's been in a lot. So and uh,
1: she's going to be in Oppenheimer. Which I'm really looking forward to seeing that one well,
0: doing part two as well. Oh so. yeah. I'm looking
1: forward to that one too. Wow. Yeah. Good for her. She's in some good ones.
0: Oh, she's, she's blowing up. She's like, she's like what was happening to J law, you know, like 10 years ago where she's just like, she's absolutely blowing up into one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. So love Florence Pugh, this movie, eh, just okay. I gave it a six out of 10. Oh, I give it a B. All right. Uh, let's move on to the final film. We're going to review on today's episode of the second day film podcast. Again, appreciate everyone for hanging out with us and, and listening here today. Uh, it's bullet train, another 2022 movie. This was directed by former stuntman, David Leach. In case you couldn't tell Mike, uh, five assassins aboard a swiftly moving bullet train, find out that their missions have something in common. This film stars, Brad Pitt, Joey King, Aaron Taylor, Johnson, Brian Tyree, Henry, uh, amongst, among others. There's also several cameos in this, which I found, uh, intriguing and humorous Um, but Mike you know David Leitch it didn't surprise me when I saw that he was directing this movie as I said he's a former stuntman but other films he's directed he actually directed John Wick he was an uncredited director in that actually it was before he sort of had directing chops so they gave it to the Straharsky. but um, you know other films like uh, Atomic Blonde Deadpool 2 Fast and the Furious Hobbs and Shaw I mean these are all movies that feature hand-to-hand combat fighting and that's no different in bullet train and i thought the fun free uh creative fight sequences were the most entertaining part of this movie
1: yeah it felt like it honestly it felt like a video game that then had been sort of directed by quentin tarantino but had been like put through the marvel like hey characters should talk in very jokey ways like that that's how i would describe like there there was a little bit of john wick to it where you got all these like different colorful assassins there was a little bit of you know just quentin tarantino to it the way like all the characters the Deadpool these, to like, it
0: with the wisecracking
1: honestly. yeah the, like the title screen oh yeah even the random ryan reynolds cameo for no reason oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um yeah it's like it's trying to be funny but I don't know how well the humor landed for me personally. I remember thinking like, okay, that movie was fine. Uh, But like, I don't know that it was more than just that. Kind of like, you know, um, the, the one we just reviewed. Don't worry, darling. It's like, okay, yep, I get it. That was the premise. That's what it was. It does it. And it's not more than that. It's, you know, but like, I will say there was much more energy uh, going on in this film just because it was a heavy stunt film so you're watching a lot of action sequences and there's like a lot of flips and kicking and um you know witty banter uh but overall it was just kind of like a popcorn film
0: i'm a sucker for inventive creative fight sequences i've said it a hundred times on this podcast whether it's john john wick uh whether it's shung chi and the legend of the ten rings i just love when sort of kung fu and martial arts are used in a Clever way and you've got people fighting with all manner of stuff in this movie, whether it's, you know, vodka bottles or uh, briefcases or venomous snakes or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's all going on in this. And I, too, created uh, appreciated the sort of frenetic pace of the film. Uh, Because once this thing gets going, it just goes and goes and goes, kind of like the train itself, actually. Uh, And and the story just sort of continues to unwind as we see how these characters are sort of interconnected. I like how the camera often just moves fluidly throughout the train, where we get a sort of sense of space within the train and where the characters are in relation to each other. And the train itself almost feels like a, a character in itself in this. It's very distinct, and each car has sort of its own personality and look to it. And I think that's important because it sort of gives us sort of a sense of where all the different assassins are in relation to each other. And I, I think that's important because early on, you're kind of like, well, we got like four different things going on. These people are talking about seemingly unrelated things. We know they're going to come together. But at first, you know, you're, you're sort of like, OK, how are these people all related to this person's here? These two are here. This person's here. And even with the plot early on, there's a lot of, you know, Brad Pitt will walk by someone. And then we'll see, you know, Lemon and Tangerine talking to each other or, yeah. you know, someone will randomly bump into each other. So I, I sort of like the, the fluid nature of how the film uh, sort of was portrayed and sort of uh, developed on screen.
1: Dude, when Lemon hits the guy with the van at the end, that made me laugh so hard. That <laughs> was girl, really, you mean? Doesn't uh, yeah, <laughs> that was that was really, really funny at the end. Uh, and just I love the Brad Pitt's character, like his his superpower was he was lucky that just kind of made it fun because you knew that well yeah because (laughs) you knew whatever was going to happen was like it wasn't going to happen to him but you didn't know how and so that was the fun it was almost like a magic trick you're like i know he's going to get out of it because of some silly lucky thing but i don't know how and that was fun to watch Mm -hmm. um yeah it, it was a good cast uh but uh, yeah, overall, it was it was just it was a very simple film.
0: I, I agree so. that the the stakes never really feel that high because there's like yeah. this goofy vibe to the whole yeah. thing. You know, the, 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 it never lets us really get like lost in sort of the drama of what's actually happening because we're like doing these random cuts to 47 minutes prior or. 20 years ago and we're getting like a backstory for a character that they give us his entire backstory and then he gets killed five minutes later and it's just sort of like yeah the, the whole thing it does feel tarantino-esque like kill bill-ish mm-hmm. in that way yeah um but it's obviously it's not kill bill just so i'm clear um but you know like it has that vibe where like the you know the carrot the assassin names are just popping up on screen like it's like a comic book and then you know we're gonna go back in time and get their sort of Nonlinear storytelling but then we're just going to kill them off because well that person served their purpose and but there is just sort of like this i don't know if campy is the right word but it's sort of just like it's not it's never taking itself that seriously and for that reason i can't take it that seriously
1: yeah i will say apparently there was some drama with this movie because it's based on uh a novel which is i guess everyone in the novel is asian and so then they did this movie and everyone's mostly not Asian. So there was a little bit of drama with that. This movie just just want to I, I don't really know what the drama is. So I probably shouldn't speak to it too much, but it was just worth mentioning. I, do. That... I heard
0: it. It's because it's there wasn't because they put white people in it. <laughs> That's yeah. They wanted all Asian actors. And I get that. I understand that, you know, but it's not like we haven't had Asian representation in films lately. I mean, we have. We just reviewed one not that long ago. That was a fantastic representation and uh, everything, sure. everywhere, all at once. So, oh, yeah, uh, you know, I and, you know, we had Crazy Rich Asians. We've had Shang-Chi. We've had there's been a, a few. So, it, you know, I'm OK when they if they want to, repl- you know, we see it all the time. Like they'll replace a male character with a female character or sometimes they'll change. It's creative license. And I'm OK with filmmakers taking some of that. And if you want to have a superstar like Brad Pitt helming your film because they, you think it's going to help it you know, I get why that makes sense from a business standpoint. And this film did make money a lot, actually. It had a budget of $90 million and made $240 million in the box office. So people went and saw this movie for some reason.
1: Oh, wow. I, I didn't know it made that much. I saw on, uh, I think I saw this on, was it like National Movie Day or something, where like all movies were like mm-hmm. uh, major discounts. So we, Go Catherine ahead. and I went to Syria Theater and saw, this was the movie I saw for National Movie Day. So it'll always it hold that special place in my heart
0: in, it had been entertaining enough in theaters
1: you know it's a popcorn flick and that's that's not a bad film to go see on national movie day so uh, i'll give this one uh i'll give it a b
0: uh i give it a six and a half out of ten so just slightly better than don't worry darling you ever seen the movie snowpiercer loved it yeah great movie that, I, I just thought of it because that movie takes place on a train too and you have a lot of this sort of fighting. That movie's speaking of serious vibes, that one has a serious tone to it, and the stakes feel really high in that one, so obviously a better movie than this, but uh, you know, hey, I was I was thinking about that movie when I was watching this.
1: Hey, have you ever seen Murder on the Orient Express? I have. That movie also takes place on a train. Yeah. Have you ever different, seen Harry Potter kind of and Have you ever seen Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets?
0: No, that doesn't count, because that well, movie doesn't, the plot doesn't revolve around the train, Mike. You, you went one step
1: too far. there. Well, farther. I mean, the whole Plot starts because they can't get onto the train because Dobby have, you, the have you ever seen Thomas the, the Train? I have not. <laughs>
0: you, you don't know who Thomas the Train is? That one guy Lemon is just obsessed with it. Are <laughs> yeah. you a diesel, by the way? Are you a diesel?
1: <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> that was oh, a funny man.
0: bit. I appreciated that. I I, you yeah. know, I I think I like this movie. I don't know. I, maybe I'd, I, could, I could bump it to a seven. It was kind of entertaining.
1: Let's see if they bring Ryan Reynolds back for the sequel. <laughs> you got uh, who's the guy who's looking for the sex stuff in there too? Uh, Channing Tatum. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was so <laughs> random and funny. There yeah. there there were some good cameos in them, even like Sandra Bullock. I, I like that was great that they finally brought her in at the end. Yeah, um, you know it's kind of a fun
0: watch. I yeah. would say that. Um, all right, well, I think that's going to do it for today's epi- episode of the Second Day Film Podcast. Appreciate everyone for listening. Uh, again. Our episodes are on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and our Facebook page is the Second Day Film Podcast. You got anything else to say before we get out of here, Mike? Obviously, we got a lot of movies coming out. Uh, Black Panther's out. Uh, Avatar, The Way of Water is coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard it has to be like the third or fourth fourth uh, biggest box uh, grossing movie ever to, to make money. So uh, James yeah. Cameron really going out on a limb there, but it probably will make money. I mean, it looks amazing.
1: So. that's a movie that i'm not necessarily excited for but i'm still like i definitely need to see it on the big screen maybe not like imax or something but it's it's like Absolutely you go you go to you movie. go to the theater to watch spectacle to see something like huge on a big screen and avatar is like you know that's a movie designed for the theater watching so i definitely will try to go see it but I yeah, mean, I'm, I'm going I'm,
0: full imax i'm going full yeah. imax for it i think i'll drop the money on it why not um all right well let's get out of here i think we're going long again appreciate everyone for listening hope everyone had a good thanksgiving uh got got december rolling up here mike can you believe 2022 is already almost over man i feel like this year flew. Dude.
1: By it, it, yeah parts of it didn't but then it did <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: all right well let's get out of here again appreciate everyone for listening and for mike nichols i'm Brandon champion. thank you once again for listening to the second day film podcast we'll talk to you next time and we'll see you